Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show. Our mission is to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. One thing I'd love for you to do is review us where you listen. And I want to thank CS from Oklahoma for your recent review on Apple Podcasts. You said, thank you for providing a summary of important new information. I like the balance you provide between hot topics, relevant current information, and questions from the listeners. Please continue with the information segments. Appreciate that, CS. In this episode, I'm going to begin by addressing something that affects all of us, the cost of energy and what you can do about escalating prices. And after getting to your questions, I have some advice for everyone surrounding Social Security and monitoring your account. So we're in a crunch right now with energy from a variety of sources. And yes, this is all related to the pandemic and the disruptions it led to in energy markets. Last year, fairly early in the pandemic, you may remember something happened that was historic. Energy prices went negative. Oil producers were having to pay people, literally pay people, to take oil off their hands because there was a world awash with energy because of the worldwide shutdowns that took place and people were basically, except for a small number of people that were what we called at that point essential workers, were shut in to their homes, apartments, condos, and this was around the world. And so energy demand fell off a cliff. So what happened next is completely predictable economics. A lot of generators of energy, people who explored, people who produced oil, natural gas, they shut down. A lot went bankrupt, whatever. And once fields go dry, once they're no longer being used, it's a while before those supplies come back to life. Well, the natural cycle from going from negative prices in 20 to rising prices now is you'll start to see the producers generating more energy. But in the meantime, there's going to be a world of hurt on our wallets. So both oil and natural gas are now in short supply. And as a result, the prices of both are going up. So let's take the individual components. What you're paying for a gallon of gasoline. I don't even dare to ask you, Krista, because you're not good at saying what you paid I don't, per gallon. I don't buy gas anymore. That's right. And why don't you buy gas? Because I drive an electric car. 
And by the way, searches for electric vehicles using Google have skyrocketed because what people are seeing with the higher prices at the pump. Well, if your vehicle's fine, it's working fine, and you wouldn't normally be replacing it now, you don't dump it because of today's spike in gasoline prices to replace with an electric vehicle. Because the economics of getting rid of your vehicle, getting another one, generally aren't going to work. So for now, you're stuck with these higher prices. But the price per gallon, depending on where you go to buy gasoline, is a huge difference from one place for, to another. In fact, my wife has a gas engine vehicle. She has a hybrid. And I had to fill it up the other day. And we filled up at Costco. I noticed down the street from where we filled up at Costco, the gas was 80 cents a gallon more at a station of one of the major oil companies. And what I recommend is not rushing out and topping off your tank all the time. No. What I recommend is that when you hit half a tank or below, as you're driving around, you think through, hey, that's a good price over there. I'm going to buy it. Use the apps like Gas Buddy and Gas Price Watch. I don't want you driving out of your way to get a better deal on gasoline, but I want you to be thoughtful about when and where you buy it. And especially now with the prices spiking, unless you have a car that absolutely needs premium, stop buying premium. People buy far more gallons of premium gas than are actually needed. Uh, Somehow you think you're treating your car better. And there's a small number of vehicles that, other than for advertising purposes and rated horsepower, that actually need that premium gas, uh, even Porsches will run fine on regular. They just won't have as high a horsepower, but they'll run fine because the computer system's controlling the fuel injection make sure it can run on a variety of octane levels. Natural gas has gone up, up, and away. We've been spoiled for years since, uh, gosh, about the last... 14 years, we've had very favorable prices on natural gas, and we're producing more and more of it. We're using it in more and more ways for electricity generation, in addition to direct natural gas use by homes for heating, maybe cooking, whatever else. So natural gas prices are moving up. This is going to be a rough winter to heat if you heat with natural gas. And I'm going to tell you this is a year that if you've always kind of not paid attention to the idea of adding insulation to your attic, uh, sealing up uh, areas around your doors and windows that are leaking air, this is a fall to get it done before winter. If you live in a climate where you have a lot of uh, heating days that you got to provide for, because the cost of that energy is going to wallop you. In addition, if you don't have a smart thermostat like a Nest or one of the Nest competitors, please get one. It's a really affordable way to lower your cost of heating and cooling by about 20% over the course of a year. And those thermostats are not a lot of money. We post deals on those thermostats all the time on ClarkDeals.com. And if you have 
any aptitude, you can install one yourself. If you're an idiot like me, you can have, when the servicing is done on your HVAC, you can have the person doing that install the new thermostat for you. And speaking of that, please, if you don't do a normal seasonal check of your system going into winter, do it this winter because of these higher prices. Small number of states, people have the ability to shop and lock in the cost of their natural gas. If you live in a state with a competitive market and you can shop that market, you want to lock in that natural gas for the next year, at least six months that will cover this winter heating season. Krista? I have a couple of energy-related questions for you to start. This is from Sherry in Virginia. We recently installed solar panels and are now being contacted by another company to sell our SREC. They have several payment options. Is this a good idea? And generally, which type of payout is recommended or more advantageous to us? So SRECs are credits you get for having solar installed at your home. And these credits in a number of states, and I'm gathering in Virginia you can do this, they can be sold off into the marketplace. So there are potentially multiple buyers of SRECs, and so you want to shop them with the providers available to you in Virginia rather than just being in a linear negotiation with the one company that approached you. It is a way of creating more incentives in the marketplace for people to install solar. And the idea of SRECs is that when you put solar on your home, you are lessening the number of times that the local power company has to go buy uh, very high-cost power on high-demand days. So you are helping out your next-door neighbor who doesn't have solar by lowering what power costs them. So the SRECs are um, economist kind of dream tool in the marketplace where the marketplace sets the rates but you only are going to know if you're getting a good price if you shop them to more than just the people who approached you. From Karen in Ohio, this is a follow-up to an earlier question about house generators. After a recent storm that wiped out our electricity for hours, we've been thinking about getting a generator. Quotes for a whole house natural gas generator started $8,000. Whoa, that's a lot of melted ice cream. Does a whole house generator add value to our property? Would we possibly recoup any of its cost when we sell our house down the road? Or is it smarter to get a smaller, less expensive generator to power only essentials like the freezer and refrigerator? Uh, So (laughs) you're asking me a really hard question, Karen. Because you love ice cream? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, melted ice cream. Ice cream is the one thing on which I will not compromise. (laughs) But getting to the generator... You may or may not have it as an effective selling tool when you sell your home that you have a whole house or partial whole house instant on natural gas generator. Uh, These things are awesome because not only do you preserve the items in your refrigerator freezer, but you're able to keep the lights on in your house and you may be able to continue to provide energy to your home in the summer, let's say there was a summer storm and your air conditioning would be dead because of an electricity outage, 
you may be able to run at least a portion of the AC system in your house off of the natural gas generator. It is a more expensive solution, but it is a more complete thing for your home and your own personal comfort. On the other hand, you can buy a um, very small portable generator for hundreds of dollars, maybe to less than $2,000 that will power a lot of things in your house. You'll have to start it up. You'll have to make sure you have fuel for it, but it will provide the backup. And some of them, by the way, run on batteries now. It will provide the backup that you're looking for uh, for the things not being ruined in your refrigerator, freezer, and that kind of stuff. So that is a much cheaper alternative but for overall comfort, particularly following a storm where you may have multiple days of power outage, having the permanently installed natural gas one is a whole lot more comfortable. This is from Vicenza in Montana. I'm a 47-year-old divorcee. Don't say sorry. It's for the best. He's a FOMO and YOLO, and I am not. So with that said, our retirement plan and college plans for the kids are pretty much non-existent. I have a large sum of money that I get to secure for myself and my kids' future. I have $11,000 in an IRA and $9,000 in a SEP. I'm looking forward to working full-time as I continue my education. Just recently, the kids' college funds have been taken care of by another family member, thankfully. What would be the best way to preserve the most of this money for myself and my kids' futures? Thank you for helping me figure my way through separating myself from reckless financial decision-making. I removed myself from his maxed-out credit cards. I paid off my one personal credit card. I got my credit score up from 589 to the mid-700s, changed all my passwords, and have three banks I work with, including a credit union. And now I'm looking forward to a Costco Citibank card to enjoy all those cash-back perks. You're the best. Well, first of all, your positive attitude is awesome, fantastic. So you have a one-time windfall sum of money that you've received, and it's time for you to pay catch-up, play catch-up on building money for your retirement. You have this wonderful gift of a family member taking care of your kid's college, lifting that burden from you. So what's very important is that you hire someone you can trust who will build a financial plan for you, will deal with all the questions and all uh, the goals that you might have for yourself, and will guide you and advise you or will actually manage the money for you. There are different levels and different places to go for the guidance. And the sense of one of the keys is your personal comfort and knowledge in doing investing. You do have the option of going to, as an example, you have the amount of money that would work really well at Vanguard for you to hire their personal advisory service at a cost of 0.3 of 1% per year to manage the money for you, to help you develop your personal goals, develop your personal financial plan, and manage the money for you, investing it for you. Moving money every year into a Roth IRA. Um, If you are self-employed, building much more into a SEP or a self-employed 401k. 
Um, and in that case, they would actually manage the money. If you would rather have somebody advise you, there are ways to do that. The Garrett Planning Network is where you can pay an hourly fee to get advice on managing. You can hire a fee-only fiduciary financial planner, and I've got links on Clark.com how to do that, to hire someone who will be there just for you. By the way, the Vanguard Advisor is a fiduciary. Um, and the key is a fiduciary. That's somebody who legally is required to do what's in your best interests. I want to wish you the best. Congratulations on how far along you are in the healing process and getting your life together for this next chapter. And speaking of the next chapter, coming up, I want to talk about Social Security. There's something you have got to know where you could be harmed behind the curtain. And there's something I want you to do now, regardless of how old you are. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Social security is something that if you ask people under 30, they're like, that's not going to be there for me when I'm old. Why would I even pay attention? Let me tell you something. Pay attention. Because Social Security has such an embedded base of support in the United States that it will be there when you retire. What it will pay, who knows? Uh, We have, with the political shenanigans going on in Washington, with the two political parties being unwilling within themselves or together to face the economic realities that our government faces, they're not doing anything about the shortage of funds for Social Security and for Medicare. In the case of Social Security, people just like, what, I'm not paying attention to that. Why would I do that? That's not going to get me an applause line in a speech. And nobody's going to want to hear me talk about that. Well, let me tell you, I'm talking about it because... What I'm worried about is not that Social Security is going to go away, but that the amount of money people will receive down the road will be reduced because the system is not actuarially sound. We don't have enough money coming in for the promises we made to people. We address it sooner. We're in better shape. We address it later. It's more painful. But Social Security will continue, no doubt, So the thing is, there's a formula based on your earnings in your highest earning 35 years. And if you're like 28, you're like 35 years. Am I ever going to work 35 years in my life? Yeah, you are. I mean, that's how it's going to play. So it matters. And The crazy thing is you can see, and it's better to do this over time, you can see how much 
Social Security thinks you earned in a year. And the reason that's important is if they have the wrong figures, it could end up reducing the Social Security benefit you get forever. So there's this simple thing nobody uses called MySocialSecurity.gov. And at MySocialSecurity.gov, you go through a registration process, and then you're able to see what Social Security says you earned in various years. So if it's wrong, you want to contact Social Security and say, hey, you got me down for the wrong amount of money in this year if it's too low. Because that will affect, eventually, what you're going to earn. Interestingly enough, I have two years, I've worked enough years, it's not affecting me. Because I've got more than the 35 years necessary to be at max benefit for Social Security. But there are two years that they show me with no income, essentially no income, that I earn money. And it's long ago, and it didn't matter because of the fact that I had enough higher earning years. But with other people, it certainly could, in my case, it didn't hurt me, could hurt you. And almost nobody ever checks. And this is the entirety about how it's determined what you're going to get from Social Security. Most people aren't even going to pay attention to this till they're 50. I want you paying attention to this by the time you're the ripe age of 30. I want you to have a MySocialSecurity.gov account. And then you don't have to check it every year. I don't know anybody who does, really. There may be somebody, but they're also the people who have their sock drawer organized. Anyway, if you will check this at least every third year, because you'll remember pretty much in the ballpark what you earned over the last couple of years. And if there's something wrong, I want you to work on correcting it close to that time and not years and years later. The feds used to send everybody an annual statement of Social Security and then eliminated that to save money. And now it's up to you and me to actively go and check And so don't do what most people do where the first time they're checking is when they're approaching their 62nd birthday and are trying to decide when they're going to start taking Social Security. You want to do this through your working lifetime. One more task I'm adding into your life, but it won't take long. Krista? All right, Clark. This is from Anonymous. I'm a faithful podcast listener and looking for a direct answer to a social security dilemma. I'm 63 years old with a condition where I'm expecting to pass on within one year. Oh, I'm very sorry. I'm collecting social security disability at 3.3K per month. My wife is 62 and not collecting social security. When I pass, she will likely be 63. When and how much of my social security disability can my wife expect to receive? Also, does it make sense for her to begin to collect her own Social Security now, knowing that when she gets my benefit, it will likely be larger than her expected benefit, even at full retirement age? Seems like if she doesn't collect her benefit now, then she would miss out on collecting it entirely. She works part-time, earning $13,000 per year. 
I've gotten vague and conflicting responses to the above and hoping you can provide me more specific guidance. First of all, I'm really, really sorry about the circumstances that you're facing um, certain death in the next year. Hopefully, you were being too pessimistic and there is more hope for your lifespan. But regardless, the reason you're getting such general advice is that you pointed out so many specific circumstances and social security is is like this secret web that figuring out the exact answer is very difficult so some professors wrote very very sophisticated software where you it's going to take you some time at your computer but you can sit down and put in the exact variables that you have to make decisions about, and it will be able to help you. It's called Maximize My Social Security. It's $40 for you to buy this software. You buy it at the website MaximizeMySocialSecurity.com, and it is the best tool that exists that I've ever heard of for you figuring out the exact right answer to your very specific and complicated situation. And I want to wish you the best. And please let me know if the software was able to answer these questions for you. If it could not drill down in the specifics of your situation, I need to know that and see if I can come up with an alternative solution for you to get to the right answer. From Donna in Virginia, I was recently in an accident and no one was charged. My car needed repair, so I used my insurance to rent a car. When I got the car, they said, okay, you have $900 in rental coverage. Well, as of last week, I was told my allotment was up, but my car was not ready and would not be for another week. I called my insurance and they said, yeah, sorry, too bad. They even have a disclaimer on their website stating, if your car is not ready, please have your auto body company contact the car rental company. This does not make sense. I've never had to contact the other person's car insurance to see if I'm still covered. It's always assumed I keep the car until the work is done. I feel like they're trying to get out of paying because supply chains are so backed up. Yeah, this issue with the delays and body shop repair has been a problem. One person after another having the same issue as you with the auto insurer saying, huh, that's tough. The only solution I know, and I don't know how to fix it in your case, is if you use a preferred provider body shop, and you may have in this case, if it is a body shop that you were referred to by your insurer and you went to them because they were a preferred body shop, that is a case where the insurer has a duty and responsibility to you because they sent you to that preferred provider. They did not meet the time deadline, and you're not the one that should end up with the short straw. What you need to do immediately is contact your state insurance department in Virginia and file a complaint against your insurer. The insurers hate having these complaints filed with the state regulators. And especially if you did not pick the body shop, but it was on your insurer's preferred provider list, then the insurer is the one that sent you to this body shop. 
the body shop failed to get the work done in time, and the insurer, in my opinion, has a duty and responsibility to leave you whole. That when they leave you without transportation and say life's tough and now it's on you, they are not leaving you whole following this accident. And the insurer you have is one that has a very mixed reputation for customer service. If you look at any of the lists and how they handle claims, they are right in the middle of the pack. They're not the worst auto insurer out there. They're not the best. So persuasion it was what really matters with them. The squeaky wheel gets the grease with them. And I hope you're able to prevail. This is from Andrew in Indiana. I'm hoping you can shed additional light on this email I received from my bank. If it's accurate, I believe your other listeners should be informed on this intention to collect this non-tax-related info by the IRS. The email read in part, A proposal in Washington would require all community banks and other financial institutions to report to the IRS on business and personal account deposits and withdrawals, regardless of tax liability. This indiscriminate, comprehensive bank account reporting to the IRS can soon be enacted in Congress and would create an unacceptable invasion of privacy for our customers that could harm small businesses. Let's work together to spread the word about the flaws in this misguided proposal on Capitol Hill and in local communities nationwide. So let me give you background on this. This is uh, to deal with the um, tax evasion that's going on in the United States. And it is a blunt instrument tool to do so. And in my opinion, is an unworkable proposal that is sitting there in the Congress. I would be very surprised if it's adopted in the form that it is now written. The idea of this is that a lot of people will have money come into an account of unknown origin and then the money kind of vanishes. And so there's a lot of people uh, keeping two sets of books who particularly own their own businesses, where they are reporting one level of income on their tax return, but a different level of income is actually coming in. So the idea is tracking the movement of money like they do to go after the drug dealers is how the IRS would be able to figure out what business owners are using two-book accounting and engaging in tax evasion. So it is a um, it's a pretty brutal way to do it, and I think that it is a, how do I put this politely without getting into the political environment? I think this is a foolish intrusion by the government to try to catch the small number of people not fulfilling their duties to pay their taxes as owed and catching a lot of innocence in the act. How did I do with that? Staying I think you did very well, right. yes. Well, I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust. <laughs>